Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. He already told us where uh, our title this morning is Go and Sin No More. And we'll read just one verse in John 8, verse 11, and we can sit down. John 8, she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You may be seated. Go and sin no more. God desires to extend His grace and mercy. He didn't come to condemn us the first time. He came to save us. It's important that we understand that. We're going to start off this morning. The Pharisees, this is where we are in the story. The Pharisees were the teachers of the Scriptures during this time. and They were known as rabbis and were considered by many to be the true keepers of traditional Judaism. The word Pharisee simply means separated one. The Pharisees, they were were seated in Moses' seat and were rooted. They just became rooted in guile and sanctimony. They became too clever with their knowledge of the Scripture. They They became very strict, and their arrogance of the Scripture didn't measure up in the eyes of Jesus. And they were just furious with him. He came in and disrupted this this thing they had going on. This carpenter from Galilee came into the city and disrupted their status and their reputation among the people. And they were mad. They were mad. So they hatched this plan to trap him. A plan arrayed on, on a woman to arrest her in the act of adultery. But they were, they, were, they were not just after her, they were after him. They obviously knew this was going on. They didn't bother to do anything before. And but, so they used this opportunity to arrest him as well. Their ears just ring with blasphemous words of that carpenter saying in John 7, verse 37 and 38, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Who does this guy think he is to come into our Feast of Tabernacles where we celebrate the water that he gave us in the wilderness and our manna, and he claims to have this water. And they were mad. They could hear and see the people worshiping him, and and they began to listen and believe on him. Some even held him as their Messiah, but he, he could not be their Messiah. This couldn't be true. He was just a carpenter from Nazareth. They had studied the law. They knew what the Messiah would be like. They even knew where he would come from. He would come from Bethlehem, not Nazareth. 
Jesus had to he, Jesus had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And during this holy feast, the Jews remembered the hardships that their ancestors had experienced when they struggled to find water and food, wandering through the wilderness. And after God had set them free from Egyptian slavery, Jesus was ruining this festival. In the name of righteousness, they had to put a stop to his teaching. Even if it meant putting a stop to him, they were willing to do anything and as the day began to break and the sun began to rise over the city, Jesus was already up. You, you can't beat Jesus up. He's already up praying. He was up, headed down to the city. Merchants in the marketplace were emptying their carts and setting up their tables. Jesus begins to walk through the aisles and heading for the temple. I'm sure he greeted some familiar faces and also some new faces. Everyone was there to hear what he had to say. The day before, he had promised they could be filled with that living water. What would he promise today? Some leaned against the outside walls with their arms folded, still not sure what to think, but curious about what he would say. Others would sit closer, hanging on every word, hoping to hear a specific word from him for their lives. This was, if you understand the times that they were in, this was the first of the first century. There was an outcry against the tyranny of the Romans. They'd just come out of Greek suppression and Seleucid Empire and other things. They were just crowded with all this different culture, Greek philosophy was just eating them up. They were just so divided and so there was different cultures, different beliefs. Everything's going on. Now the tyranny of the Romans was coming to a boiling point. The walls are closing in on the people. You could just feel the tension beginning to tighten on them. And so they're desperate for a word, any word of hope. They're just clinging to something. And then suddenly they hear screams and shouts as they look and they see the Pharisees dragging a woman behind them. And so we'll pick up this story in John chapter 8. While Jesus taught in the temple somewhere else in Jerusalem, scribes and Pharisees had arrested this woman. They called her in adultery. And they brought this humiliated woman to the temple. They interrupted Jesus' teaching and they set her right in front of him and loudly announced that they had caught her in the act of adultery. From the very beginning, this whole situation was suspicious and very suspect. These scribes and Pharisees did not need to humiliate her, or they, or they didn't need to involve Jesus as well. To them, he was not the highest religious authority. They could have locked her up in a cell until they could bring her before the Sanhedrin. They could have booked her and printed her. Brought her to the judge in the morning. Obviously, adultery involves two people, so where is the guilty man? How did they know when and where to go to even catch her? This is, this is a setup. The humiliated woman sat there as her accuser stood before Jesus. John 8, 4 through 6 records her opening statements. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? 
what sayest thou? This they said tempted him that they might have to accuse him. The writer John identified their motive from the start. He, he knew their motive was wrong. Their motive was not necessarily promoting righteousness. It was, it was to trap Jesus. They were using this woman to, using the woman just to put Jesus in an impossible situation. You know, they, this is not the first time or the only time in scriptures that they tried to do this. You can read Matthew 22. The Pharisees tried to catch him on the tribute money. We paid tithe or taxes to Caesar or you know, they was trying to catch him. And when he told them, well, you render to Caesar what's Caesar and unto God what's God. Well, then they, they send the Sadducees in there. The Sadducees didn't even believe in resurrection. So surely the Sadducees could catch him, but he put them ashamed. So now they got the lawyer. They send their lawyer in there. The lawyer's going to get him. You know, he's went to law school. He's, he can outwit this carpenter from Galilee. He, went, he goes in there and says, what's the greatest commandment of all? I mean, he's got him. And Jesus looked at him and said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Well, I'm sure that just took the wind out of him. He goes to leave and Jesus, whoa, wait a minute. That's not all. I know you only asked for one, but I'm going to give you two. There's two. What's the second one? It's the second one's like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments, you can hang all the law and the prophets. On these two, you have to get these two right. First, you have to understand that there's only one God. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. You have to understand that Jesus in the New Testament is Jehovah of the, New Testament, of the Old Testament. You have to understand that and you have to understand that He commands us to be Christ-like and to love like He loves. To forgive your neighbor, not just your brother, but your neighbor who you may not even know, who's a, who won't keep their yard clean, who's a nuisance to you. Love your neighbor as thyself. This is a tough commandment. So He's been put in this position a few times so if Jesus replied let her go they could accuse him of breaking the law of Moses which clearly called for execution by stoning as the penalty for adultery this response would turn the Jews against him and his teaching but if he replied execute her they could accuse him of advocating they break Roman law because you see the Romans had stripped the Jewish authorities right to execute people for religious crimes. However, Jesus said neither. You can't trap him. This lawyer couldn't do it. Pharisees couldn't do it. The Sadducees couldn't do it. So he just stoops down on the ground. He says neither. He says nothing. Jesus didn't immediately respond to her, her accusers. He stooped down and he writes on the ground with his finger like he didn't even hear them. The gospel writer didn't tell us what Jesus wrote or what he wrote. The te teachers and preachers have speculated for years what he may have wrote. Whatever Jesus wrote, he, he, uh, the accusers pressed him again for his response. They, they didn't stop. They wanted more. Maybe Jesus' writing encouraged her. 
the woman, when she seen it and gave her hope, his behavior was not hostile toward her in any way. In fact, he seemed to be concerned to not further embarrass her or humiliate her any further than what she had already was feeling. Perhaps when Jesus ignored her accusers and knelt close to her, she fixed her eyes on him. I can just, I'm trying to imagine that, you know, fixing, just looking him in his eyes. I can just imagine feeling what she felt. Everything and everyone around her seemed to just go silent. She's looking to the eyes of her Redeemer. She's looking at something she's never felt before. She's looking into compassionate eyes. Hope. Mercy. There's a feeling that comes over her she's never felt before. And she ignores them as well. Hallelujah. Was there something in Jesus' eyes that drew her near to Him? Oh my, I mean there's something about the name of Jesus. We preach and pray about the name of Jesus. There's power. Wonder working power in the name of Jesus. But she's looking right into his eyes. Praise God. She sees him. She was looking at the very one that would save her by his grace. Praise God. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. I'm speaking about the name of Jesus today. But one day, I'm going to stand before him and I and you are going to look into his eyes. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look on his face, the one who saved me by his amazing grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, what a glorious day that will be. Hallelujah. I'm going to feel that compassion she felt. I'm going to see what she felt. It's going to come over you and me, Brother Junior, when we look on his face. The one and only Redeemer. Praise God. Hallelujah. What a glorious day. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful that we have a Redeemer? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Aren't you thankful to be in right relationship with God? We have to ignore our accusers. The devil will bring up our sins and failures and make us think there's no way God could forgive me from what I've done. There's no way I could live for God after all the things I've done. But the devil is a lie. Hallelujah. Your accusers is a lie. They may mock and attempt uh, 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 make attempts to, uh, to live for, uh, 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 against us to, uh, when we're li- trying to live for the Lord. We've all had that. We've all had family members mock us and, and shame us. Hallelujah. But it's our job. I started off or said earlier about loving our neighbor. We have to love them and pray for them. Not rebuke them, but love them. Pray for them. They're, 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 they're covered in sin. That's what's wrong with our attitudes is sin. You don't need to look no further than sin. Praise God. I was there. I was there. Praise God. We, we really can't control what others might say or do.
All we can do is ignore them, pray for them, and stay focused on the Lord and what He says about us because that's all that matters. What does God say? What does God say? In John 3.17, He said, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus did not come just to proclaim we were sinners and guilty before God. He came to save that which was lost. Does this mean the woman's sin was no big deal? Of course not. Of course not. You read that in your Bible. Fornication and adultery is mentioned man, many, many times. You don't want to do that. So no, he wasn't saying that at all. Her sin and ours cost Jesus his life. Forgiveness for our sins and salvation for our souls are why He came. He came to pay the price for our sins so through Him we might be saved. The Pharisees did not let Jesus off the hook though. They demanded He pass His judgment on her and her sin. They demanded it. They didn't stop. They were, they were set on this. They, were, they, they meant that He was going to do something about it. So finally he stood up, wiped the dust off his hands, and in one sentence blew apart their entire scheme. Jesus responded, He that is without sin among you, in John 8 and 7, let him first cast a stone at her. This was a divinely inspired response. Jesus did not urge them, listen to this, he did not urge them to violate the law of Moses. In fact, he gave them permission to carry out justice just as long. Now listen, just as long as they never needed mercy. I mean, is there anyone here today that not only did you need mercy yesterday, but you don't need mercy today. If you don't need mercy today, then you can, you're excused. I need mercy today. I had it yesterday and I need it again today. They could cast a stone if they were qualified. But that meant they were not guilty of her same sin or any sin. According to the law of Moses, when someone was sentenced to death by stoning, one of the witnesses of the capital crime had to cast the first stone. Then the other witnesses could join in. Someone did not get to make baseless accusations against someone and be done. They had to be involved. In carrying out the sentence. If they were caught lying. The accusers. They suffered the same sentence. They intended for the accused. Let me tell you. It's a different story. When you have to carry out the judgment. That you pronounce on someone else. It's, it's one thing to say. I'm going to beat him up. It's another thing to go do it. I know. I didn't always live for Christ. That's a whole different ball game. I've changed my mind when I face that person. Not just out of fear of him, but out of fear of hurting him. That's different when you really want to put your hands on somebody. That's a different story. When you have to pull the trigger. And Jesus was not going to let them off the hook. If they were genuinely concerned for righteousness to prevail in Israel, they would have to carry out the same sentence according to the law right then and there. And since they were apparently so concerned about Jesus' views on the situation, he added the qualification for who could carry out this capital sentence. Someone with no sin of his own, he without sin, can cast the first stone. 
This stripped them of their hypocrisy. Surely they would not be unjust and call for her punishment while being guilty of sin themselves. And surely they wouldn't punish her while failing to also punish the other guilty party. Again, where is this guy? I mean, this is so important. Where's the dude? Jesus knew their motives. The accusers had not come to the temple to punish her crime, but to trap Jesus. And in one brilliant sentence, He exposed their hypocrisy and their true motives and destroyed their attempt to turn the Jews, it destroyed their attempt to turn the Jews or the Romans against Jesus. I started out talking about the, everything that was going on there. So there's, He had to worry about them and the Romans. The Jews would not be upset because Jesus supported the law. And the Romans would not be upset because Jesus made it impossible for the accusers to break their law. After Jesus' response, he knelt and he wrote on the ground again. And you catch that in the story if you read it carefully. He, wrote, he kneels, kneels, kneels down twice to write. While he wrote, the accusers thought, I'm sure, and they fumed. His words Whatever it was must have pierced their conscience from the oldest ones with the longest record of sin to the youngest. Whatever it was, it pierced them all the way to their bones. And without saying a word, they leave. They all left. In fact, it seemed maybe all of them left who came to hear Jesus. When the accusers were far away, Jesus stands up again and says, Woman, in John eight or John eight and ten says, Woman, where where are those thine accusers that was just here? Hath no man condemned thee? And she humbly replied, No man, Lord. And Jesus replied in verse eleven and said, Neither do I condemn thee. But listen, hold on. Go and sin no more. We have to remember that part. Go and sin no more. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for redemption? The opportunity to repent and be saved, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Praise God. That's the blood. Hallelujah. You are dead until you become alive in Him. The life's in the blood. All the way back to Genesis and Exodus, the life is in the blood. The blood is in the name. The name is Jesus. You're dead before you're before Acts 2.38. That's Bible. He said in the, in the gospel, he said, let the dead go bury the dead. Paul said that in one of his gospels about uh, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now you're not, but you were. So you're dead until you are redeemed by the blood. And the blood is in the name. And the name is Jesus. Hallelujah. How do you do that? When you go down in that water. After repenting of your sins. In the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission. For the burial of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. That's what we need. Hallelujah. I read something that said. I can't remember everything it said. So I just kind of put my own together. It it said it has a different ring to it when it's you at the well. When it's you caught in the pig pen, it's a different sound. When it's you he left the 99 for. Oh man, when it's you he saved much from. 
Praise God. There's a different tone to it then. You, you have a different worship for it then. It's, it's great when we see somebody else get redeemed, but it's when it's you. Woo, that was forgiven for much. There's a different feeling. There's a different walk in your step. Hallelujah. There's a different worship that comes upon you when it's you. Praise God. There's a different shout that comes on you when it's you, he's saying. Hallelujah. When you speak the name, oh, you're just not talking. You lived it. It's your testimony. I'm here to tell you by the word of my testimony that my Redeemer lives. Hallelujah. Praise God. Redemption. He did not have to condemn her. Her conscience condemned her. You could tell she was condemned. You could tell she was repentant. Being drugged there mercifully by these men who caught her in the act. So we don't even know what she had on. Think about that. His grace was standing there in her presence. And she was forgiven. She was set free. Salvation is not just about being forgiven. It's also about being delivered. That is the most important thing right there. Being transformed and leaving clothed in your right mind. Praise God. In that same moment Jesus offered her forgiveness. He also called her to stop living in sin and start living a life of devotion to God, a life of repentance and holiness unto the Lord. You see, it's not just coming to the altar, repenting of your sins, getting the Holy Ghost. It's about coming to this altar and taking this altar with you. The evidence of getting the Holy Ghost is, is, is speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives, gives the utterance. The evidence of keeping the Holy Ghost. You got to keep it. Well, I've spoken to you. You got to keep it. Light doesn't dwell in darkness. You got to hold on to that thing. So the evidence of that is your lifestyle. Be, or was you transformed? Well, you're going to be able to tell. Hallelujah. That's, that's what we're looking for. Praise God. When people come to the altar, that they get transformed. That they get delivered. Hallelujah, that something comes over them. And I heard somebody say this the other, the other morning. Uh, I'm not going to say who, but it just touched my heart. They said, I looked in the mirror after getting a good blessing, and I didn't like what I seen anymore. Woo, that's transformation. That's deliverance. Not just throwing the blessing away, but grabbing hold of that thing and letting it work inside of you. Praise God, you got to take the altar with you. The message of salvation is good news. That's why it's called the gospel. No matter how great our sin, God's grace is greater. Hallelujah. His grace is sufficient. I'm here to tell you, He's all you need. Hallelujah. All you need is Jesus. I can't, you can't fix it. All you need is Him. If you get a hold of Him, it'll all be taken care of because it goes under the blood. Praise God. Let's not forget the second part of Jesus' sentence. We are called to go and sin no more. we got to hold on to that. Just because God is so merciful and has given us so much grace does not give us a license to freely disregard His Word. Well, I don't believe we need to do that. <laughs> There's nowhere in there He asked what you thought. 
I'm sorry. It would be nice sometimes, but nowhere in that Bible does it. What does, what does a man to say? What do you think, a man? Do you think you need to do this? Nowhere in that. Praise God. We need to listen to our pastor. Just like the children of Israel had to listen to Moses. He said, go put a fence down there. And one of Brother Wayne's raccoons crossed that fence. I'm going to kill him graveyard dead. But you go down there and put the fence up. So our pastor, when he, whatever it is, we are to obey him like we obey God. That's right. Paul wrote in Romans 6.15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. We can't continue to fragrantly sin and disregard His Word, living like that life uh, like it, uh, we got to live life like it's, 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 there's death. There's, I mean, if you, you, you walk this way, there's eternity at stake here. You understand? There's eternity here. This is not, we're not trying to win a trophy or a ball game. Man, why would you argue against this? This means where you spend eternity. If I get up there and find out I didn't need to keep my hair short, well, I'm not going to be mad about it. I'll just say that. I'm not going to be upset about it. I'm not. Brother Boyd said you got to wear a tie. He didn't say that. But I'm not going to get up mad if I get up there and find out you didn't have to wear a tie while I teach him. He's never said that. But you get what I'm saying. I'm not going to be upset about it. Hallelujah. I'm just going to be glad I made it. Praise God. Larry made it. Think about that. This is... This is a treasure and earthen vessel. And it belongs to the Lord. It's not even my body. Not, you don't have the choice to do that. It's not your body. Well, it's, it's, it belongs to Him. Just as Jesus told the woman to go and send no more, the same command is to you and I. None of us will ever be perfect in this life, but the power of the Holy Ghost that dwells in us, we can live a life marked by obedience and victory over sin. A life where we don't just fragrantly disobey God and His Word. If we truly believe Jesus is Lord, we will seek to live like it and like Him. To be Christ-like. Paul said we have been set free from the power of sin and that was, dest- that was destroying our lives. There's going to be a... Uh, I, I, this, I'm just going to say it. There's going to be adulterers in heaven. There's going to be adulterers in heaven. There's going to be homosexuals in heaven. I'm, uh, I got about three amens. There's going to be lesbians in heaven. Huh? There's going to be thieves and drunkards in, in, in heaven. Murderers in heaven. What in the world? Yes, murderers are going to be in heaven. And such were some of you. Me. I'll say, I'll say me. I, I'm not changing the scripture, but some was me. Go and sin no more. Praise God. Aren't you thankful? Hallelujah. Praise God. There's going to be all kind in heaven. And the last shall be first. And the first shall be last. There's going to be some up there. They just barely make it. We're going to have to give them a Bible study when we get there. They're not going to even know none of this. But they're going to make it the last day. I believe that the revival is going to come right up till he sounds the trumpet. People are going to go to heaven speaking in tongues. Hallelujah. Think about that. Praise God. We're going to have to tell them about Jesus when we get there. I'm just thankful about that because, man, what a day that's going to be when my Jesus I shall see. 
my family, my friends, I want them to be there with me. Jesus said earlier, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Hallelujah. He that believeth on me as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers, plural, of living water. Man, I'm going to get more. You mean I'll get more? Yes, you get more. More flow out of you. Standing before a judge, waiting to be sentenced is mm, probably one of the most humbling experiences there is. The judge is all you've thought about. I can tell you from experience. He's, he or she is all you've thought about that week. By then you've come to understand how much power they have over you. Your life is in their hands, at least a part that's on trial. You are at the mercy of the one wearing that black robe. The prosecution has brought their case against you. And you've defended your actions as is your right to do so. And now it's time for sentencing. You've had a chance to speak there. You can get the judge to give you a chance to speak. But there's another judgment coming. The great white throne judgment. And you won't get that same chance to plead your case there. It'll be too late. You'll hear the words, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I don't know when we're getting out of here. No one knows the day or hour. But the scripture says we can know the season. And I believe we're in that season right now. With all my heart, I believe we're in that season right now. It's getting worse by the minute. I don't know what the story was before we got here, but there's going to be a different story when you leave on the news. It's changing that much. The Bible talks about how fast things get in the last days. And we can't keep up with all the headlines. I mean, we're getting ready now to see an arrest made that's really going to rock the nation. And make no mistake, that will happen. That's coming. He's not going to be the only one. There's going to be many more. This is going to get really crazy really fast. Hallelujah. Every day throughout the day, there's a new story. They, they say now there's an, an informant telling us that they, there's evidence of aliens. <coughs> now, I don't care if you believe in them or not. I'm not here to debate that. That's not what I'm focused on. I'm focused on the fact that they just now after this, after 80 years they say, of, uh, uh, they're just now decided to let us know that there's, there's aliens here. Oh, wow. And the FBI said they could. They could tell us. I believe, my personal opinion, I believe that they will use this to explain the rapture. People of God, I'm here to tell you this morning, before we get out of here, we're going to need one another like never before. Mm, I mean like never before. I don't believe the church is going through the tribulation. I don't believe that at all. But I do believe it's going to get bad. The Bible says as in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Lord. And it must have been really, really bad for, for God to dis- decide to destroy the world. Everybody, man, woman, and child, it must have been pretty bad. So think about it. It's bad now. But I'm telling you, it's going to get really bad. I mean really bad. But I don't think we need to, I don't think we need to, 
it's going to rock us, Sister Herndon. But I'm telling you, I want to give us a little bit of hope this morning. There's a scripture says, oh, I'm going to forget now, help me. We can praise him, praise one generation to another. Worship one generation to another. I'm missing the, the full context of that scripture. But what it does mean, in, the, in Hebrew it means that we can worship loud enough. Praise God with our whole heart enough. That it will affect the generation coming up under us. Oh my goodness. So I'm here to tell you. I know, I've seen, we, my wife and I see it with our own eyes. You've seen it in your homes with our grandsons being there. The way they watch us and the way we pray and worship God in our homes, we can see that affecting them. So I'm here to tell you, don't get discouraged about your backslidden children. Don't get discouraged about that. The devil's a lie. If you don't read into that, Sister Herndon, don't get caught up in that. I'm here to tell you, if you worship loud enough, if you give God more than you did today or yesterday today, I'm telling you, if you go a little bit deeper into those waters, he's bidding us to come a little deeper. If we'll go a little bit deeper every day, make that your plan. Make that your goal today. I'm going deeper with God today. I'm going to praise him a little louder today. It's going to be a little bit more than yesterday I'm here to tell you you'll rock the generation that's under us you'll rock the generation that's coming up after us I'm telling you they won't be able to take it they won't be able to stand it and they're going to come through those doors right there in droves in droves being filled with the Holy Ghost again so don't get discouraged it's got to happen it's got to get so rocky it's got to get so dark that it drives them out of that into this light so just hold on just hold on it's just a little longer and they're going to be coming in they're already starting there's been a mighty revival that swept across this globe and across this nation already and it's going to come to our city it's coming to this little town believe that praise God hallelujah I'm telling you it's going to get turned upside down your home what you see on the news is going to start happening in your home. Maybe not your home, but in your family. You preaching doom and gloom? No, I'm really preaching faith. Just hold on. You know it's coming. That's what sin does, and that's what God has to do to push them out. If it was easy for them, they wouldn't come. But it's going to get rough. The water's... Oh man, it's going to start rocking that boat. And they're going to start screaming out. And they're going to come in here. Why don't we stand all across this house? Praise God, aren't you thankful for His mercy? His mercy is everlasting. I'm here to tell you this morning, if that's you, the woman we talked about in some way or form, today you've walked into His presence. You've walked into mercy. You've walked into hope. And today your whole life can change. Praise God. That's a powerful statement, but it's a true statement. You're looking at somebody. Most of you know my testimony. So you already know the power of God just looking at the one holding the mic. He can do that for me. He can do that for you. 
Let's lift, lift our hands all over this house. Lord, we thank you this morning. We praise you, God, for your, your mercy and your grace. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We ask you, God, to extend that to our families. Extend that to our neighbors, Lord. Extend that to our community. Extend that to our, 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 our neighborhoods, Lord. We need that, God. And we're ready. We want a revival to hit our city, God. We want that, Lord. We yearn for that, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.